Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This is the end of the reading. Well, we're finishing our James series today, and um, we're looking at the theme of, well, yes, resting in God's sovereignty, but before we get to this idea of resting in God's sovereignty, we're looking at the theme of control, what it means to have control over our own lives. How much control do we really have? How much can we plan for the future? Depending on your personality, you might be a detailed, focused kind of planner. You might keep a tight calendar and diary. 
and for some people this gives them a sense of control. Others like to set goals for the future, a five-year or a ten-year plan. I often hear young couples in, um, when, when we're doing marriage preparation, they, they have all these plans. First we get married, then we'll rent for five years before we have kids, then we'll do a stint overseas, uh, then we'll come home, buy a house, and, and then we'll have our children, and it's all mapped out, you know, kind of like a game plan for life. People have all kinds of approaches, and, you know, you can tell how, a, I think, how a person thinks about their life, a little bit how they conduct their holidays. Uh, in our marriage, um, when it comes to holidays, our marriage being me and Joe, Joe, Joe is more of a planner and I'm more of a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. Now, the good thing about my approach, just going to defend myself here for a little bit, is that let's say you're going on holiday, say, to Paris, being glamorous here, and you wake up in the morning with my style of approach to holidays. You're all relaxed. Perhaps you wander down for a pan au chocolat at the local cafe that you just walk into, and then you stroll the streets and you soak up the Parisian culture, it's all very romantic and just relaxing. Now I'll just defend Joe's approach because the good thing about Joe's approach where there's a plan for the holiday is that through plan planning you find out where the best place is to go for the pain au chocolat and the best coffee in Paris and you know that through planning that around the corner from that cafe is an amazing gallery and so your day is even better through Joe's approach. The worst thing about my approach is that you go all that way to Paris and you don't see half the things that you could have seen um, if you'd done a bit of planning. And the downside of Joe's approach is that you, if you take it too far, you can rush around with a tight schedule and you feel stressed at the end of the day because you missed out on the 17 galleries that you didn't get to and you don't end up enjoying yourself. You'll be glad to know that, you know, through our marriage we've been able to work out our differences and uh, meet in the middle and uh, our holidays are actually quite fun. Now, I was talking about holiday planning, but the same kind of thing goes for life planning. Perhaps you're, you're a go-with-the-flow kind of person. Perhaps you're a planner. Well, there actually is a Christ-like approach to all of this. And it actually matters because it shapes how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. So that's what we're going to look at. James says in our passage that if you're a Christian... Don't make the mistake of thinking you are in complete control of your life. Don't think that because you've got your whole life mapped out that everything is going to happen the way you think it will happen. Life is completely unpredictable. You have no idea what lies around the corner. Since COVID has come into our lives, we've learnt this lesson the hard way. Uh, one week we are making plans for 2020, Holidays, parties, work, strategic goals, all of that. And the next week, we're in lockdown. Even now, as we head into summer, uh, and we're starting to enjoy life as it used to be a little bit more, we read articles in the newspaper about Omicron, the new variant. What is this going to mean for 2022? Perhaps one of the biggest shocks for us over the last two years is the realisation that we're not in control. We thought the scientists had this, and they sort of do, but then it, this virus is going faster than we can keep up with. Just when we thought we had the vaccines working, we're going to have to make some new ones. 
James says, yeah, that's what life is like. That's how life is. Your life is just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And this is really, if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favourites, James is riffing right off Ecclesiastes, which says in chapter 1, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless where the word meaningless also means mist or vapour. Ecclesiastes says, what do people gain from all their labours labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And it goes on. You can read chapter 1. And it's very postmodern. It's very sort of angsty. But it's true. The reality of life is that people are born, people die, and all of life is filled with all this stuff in between. Good times and bad times. And there's nothing you can do about that. Life is short. You do not control what happens tomorrow. So don't be foolish and think you can. Now, the thing is, wealthy people can, you know, they have the advantage because they've got more resources, more money and stuff. You can create kind of a bubble around yourself, a kind of a protection against the randomness of the world. It's it's only so thin, though. And what this bubble does through um, great health care and, um, you know, a comfortable house and all of those sort of things, nice holidays and technology, um, all the insurances that you need, good food, tickets to all the shows. This bubble is a kind of a heaven on earth that we can create. Um, but it's a, this existence is a house of cards, says James, and it can topple over at any moment. James says, wealthy people are in trouble. And they're in trouble for two reasons. First, he says, the wealthier you are, the more likely it is that you have got it, you've got your wealth by unjust or deceptive reasons. It's likely that you have got it through not paying your workers properly. It's likely that you have benefited from their suffering. Now, he's talking here to the wealthy landowners and it's probably like they're not sitting in the room as he's saying this. It's like, it, it's like he's talking to the church and he's, he's encouraging the church who are more po- the poor and oppressed in this passage. And he's referring to wealthy landowners. But it does speak to wealthy people and it applies to all people this point. Um, he says your, your wealth that you use to protect yourself from suffering and from having an easy and pleasurable life, this is condemning you, this wealth. You've enjoyed heaven on earth already, but your wealth is rusting away. You've got so many coins, so much silver and gold, that even that's rusting away. Not only your possessions, but you yourself are rusting away, <laughs> wasting away. You're ruthlessly saving for the last days of your retirement, but forgetting there's another kind of last days, the ultimate last days, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. It seems that the more money you have, the more options you have, and the greater your capacity to make plans without considering what God wants for you. Now, James isn't against planning. He's not saying planning is bad. Planning is a good thing to do. It's just that we need to submit to God 
in our plans. We need to recognise how finite we are and how sovereign God is. The wise Christian plans our life but realises the limitations of their plans and trusts in God's sovereignty. He says what you need to do is make the allowance for God's sovereignty. He says rather than trying to be in total control of your life through your first world style protections and planning, instead pursue a life of humility, modesty and generosity. Realise that life is fleeting and that it's better to use your time in a Christ-like way by loving God and your neighbour as you love yourself. Christians used to say, you know, it's kind of a turn of phrase, we'll see you next week, God willing. You remember people saying that? Some people still say it. And that's a, an appropriate way to think. God may have a different plan for whether or not I see you next week. And that sort of concept is very elastic. So it goes from everything from Jesus might return through to something might get in the way of us meeting. But the point is that God is in control. Now, perhaps you don't fall into the category of the rich oppressor. Perhaps you are a poor and persecuted Christian. You too would like to be in control of your life. So much bad stuff is happening for the Christians James is writing to, persecution. Um, but you just don't have as many options as the rich landowners. But interestingly, the same discipleship point applies to you. You too have to learn to trust in God's sovereignty, to not give up hope, to learn to be patient and wait for the return of Jesus. Be like the farmer who waits for the crops to grow. We can't do anything to force those crops out of the ground. And similarly, we can't do anything to force God's hand to do things the way we want them to be done. We've got to wait and be patient. We've got to be like Job, who persevered through all of his suffering. And we're to support one another, to not fight with each other, says James, but show love to each other when life is difficult. And so I've got three applications for us. The first one is about our money, because I think that in many ways, the words about the wealthy people apply to us. So the first application is be humble and gracious with your money. Instead of mindlessly following that middle class playbook, of using your money to take control over our lives so that nothing bad ever happens. Instead, invite God into your decision-making. Your salary is not a ticket to avoid suffering. It is a gracious gift from God that you should be humbly thankful for. Because you know that life is short and unpredictable. Don't waste this blessing by being selfish and frivolous and self-protective protective, rather be humble and generous. Use your resources to serve God. Give generously to mission and ministry. And this is not about rules, it's about a posture, an attitude to the position that we find ourselves in. Enjoy the blessings that God's given you, but know that the life you have now is only for a short time, and that at any moment God may require something different from you. 
your life may need to go in a completely different direction. So we need to be willing to follow God's lead, even if that means giving up our jobs. The second application is to see retirement as a ministry opportunity. Now, how does this apply? Well, retired people in the church who inspire me are the ones who see retirement as a ministry opportunity. God has blessed them with a career and finance, and instead of then getting to retirement and just going off on a big holiday and just making all these plans to, you know, live a kind of life of post-work hedonism, they, they, they don't let that money and possessions waste away. Rather, they use their time and possessions to build up the church and to serve. And we've got people like that in our church, people who open their homes, who give lots of their time, who show up when they're needed and who are enthusiastic. And what they're doing is what the passage says to do, which is they're persevering in their faith and they're encouraging others to do so as well. And the third application is to hand over the steering wheel. Life is like a mist. We're here one minute and gone the next. So the only thing we can do, really, in that kind of world, and this is what Ecclesiastes' conclusion is, and this is what the whole Bible's conclusion is, is to hold on to the one person who's completely consistent, who's not missed, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Make our life focused on him and see what his plans are for you. In your prayers, ask him to show you and give you courage to respond to his leading. This is how to have the full life. You stop trying to be in control and you hand over control to him. Let me pray for us that we can do that. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that um, we can be people who are not um, sucked in by the uh, middle-class um, way of doing life where we just try and avoid suffering and um, trying to avoid any bad things happening to us. And in doing so, we try and be in total control of everything. We pray that we can trust in your sovereignty, your plans for our life, and be wise in the way that we live. Amen.